The Garaudi Group was established back in 1968 in Monte Carlo and in the early 2000s, Ricardo Garaudi joined the company to develop and create more. Now, Ricardo, thank you for coming into Riviera Radio. Could you tell our listeners about your incredible journey from import and export and distribution of European meats to opening your first restaurant, the renowned Beef Bar Monte Carlo? Tell us more. Well, the story started really um, from my father because he has uh, had uh, a meat importation company, uh, as you said, from 1968, before I was born. And he moved to Monaco in the 70s and uh, started trading, basically, pure trading, um, being means buying, selling. But, you know, it, it was more of a commodity thing. He, he was just buying on the phone, selling on the phone. I went to London and did the university and I came back and uh, I just thought, you know, there's something missing. We should, uh, we should do something more and we should import high quality beef. I'm making it very short because, I mean, it could be very long. So long story short, I decided, okay, let me just not do commodity beef, but let's also focus on high quality and bring in Black Angus, bring in Wagyu, bring in Japanese Wagyu. But at the time, Europe had not opened its uh, doors to the, to these uh, meats, and uh, I was in a good place and a good time. And whenever that happened in 2006, 2007, I needed a place to showcase all of this beef because it was double the price, triple the price. It was about educating the customer. It was about you know getting this meat into all the European restaurants. And how can you do that uh, unless you just go and cook it? <laughs> And give it to the guests, give it to the distributors. So Beef Bar was really born. I mean, nobody knows this, but it was really born for a B2B business. It was really born for my distributors to be able to come to Monaco. We'd give them a little, nice little weekend in a hotel and try the new beef that's arriving in Europe. So that was the story of Beef Bar. And, and now, I mean, how many restaurants in how well, many countries? Well, the, the thing is that now I, I got a lot of love for this business and I became... Um, completely fascinated by this industry and I learned that I love to create and I'm differently to my father who's much more of a businessman everybody thinks I'm a businessman but I'm more of a creator myself I consider myself more a creator and business comes I mean I was very lucky and uh, I'm very happy but um, yeah, uh, what made the business today was, was the creativity behind all of this and so today yes we have a lot of restaurants we are growing and growing and growing Beef Bar brand is now the leading company uh, sorry the leading brand in our company uh, so we have 30 opened uh, another 10 Beef Bars in construction as we open and yes we'll probably end up in two or three years of having 50 and then we're going to probably want to slow down because you just you don't want to have too many as well so you want to make sure that you know i also learned and i also made mistakes so it, it always sounds great when i come to the radio and I speak about it nobody knows all the mistakes i've done so i know what you know I've, i make less and less mistakes but i still make some so i've learned from them but uh, it's 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 a beautiful ride and uh thanks to the beef you know i'm here but Go ahead. Oh, what would be, I had so many questions, so little time, uh, but what would be maybe one of your most memorable restaurant ventures? It was when, it's a very personal and beautiful story. I became British in, two th I was always British and I didn't know. Uh, because when I was born, uh, Thatcher uh, had passed a law after that mothers could pass the nationality to their, their sons. Well, long story short, I, I, I discovered I was British and I could... I could register myself and I had to go to Paris to the, um, to the British Embassy to, to get my certificate of nat naturalization. And I, 
my father was invited. My mother was invited. It was there. It was. It was actually my father's birthday, and he said, "I don't want to go and have any gastronomic uh, star, uh, you know, dinner." And I said, "I'll go and have the best grilled chicken in the world." And I brought him to La Milouie, and next to La Milouie there was my favorite Argentinian restaurant called Anaí. And I said, before we pass uh, to the to, to the restaurant, I want to show you my favorite restaurant in the world, and I didn't want to bring you there tonight because. You wanted the chicken and they served beef and 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 it was closed. It was closed. It was for sale. And I, I nearly had a heart attack. I said, "Oh my God!" With this, my the most famous restaurant in Paris was sixty years old, and it was always my dream to buy it. And then I called uh, the number on the uh, on the on the window, and it was a very long process. And I managed to buy that restaurant. And today I became British, so it was very much of a symbol. And today it's still one of my favorite restaurants because I haven't created it. I just have given it part of the journey, and I gave it a future. And uh, we actually might now start exporting that brand as well because I went to Argentina the other day and uh, I fell in love with the country. And I was lucky enough to have a restaurant that's Argentinian that I did with Mauro Colagreco actually this one, and we might actually export it now. So. It's, I'm a very sentimental person. I also believe in these things. And, uh, yeah, so that was the venture. Uh, the two go hand in hand, <laughs> yes. as you say, getting your British nationality and, and the restaurant. And getting a gift. Yeah. Going back to the restaurants and your creativity, what would you, how could you sum up the ingredients to a successful restaurant? I mean, what makes it? Is it the staff, the location, oh. obviously the food? Uh, so um, okay, there's there's no real rule. Obviously, we we all know that. I mean, location is key. If if it really also depends on what kind of brand and what level of your brand. If if your brand is strong, big, solid. On the contrary, I have learned that the the location as even has to be even higher to the, of the standards of the brand. If you think, oh, I have the amazing brand, I can just put it anywhere. People will just flock in because I'm so famous and so strong. That's that's when you screw up. Um, the higher the standards of the brand, the higher the, how famous the brand is, the more important the location it has to be. So every time we open a flagship, it's got to be better than the other one and better than the other one. So um, lo- location is key. Uh, service is absolutely uh, the most important thing. But you have to have the brand. You have to have the location. If you haven't got those, you haven't got the fundamentals. You haven't got the, you haven't got the, the walls to stand on. Then comes all of the others: the food, the consistency, the service. Service is seventy percent. It's, it's what we call execution, and that's the problem. When because I, I I open my restaurants by myself, or I do it with partners, or I do it in franchising, or whatever. So if it's a franchise, it's very difficult because we don't have the management, and they have to get our ethos. They have to get our our DNA. They have to understand that they are responsible. It's not by putting beef bar outside and having a great location that that would work because you get compared to uh, people want consistency. They 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 they, they just com- people, especially in the luxury sector, they always expect perfection and unfortunately we're not selling jewelry or we're not selling clothes we're selling an experience and it's made from humans and imagine after covid imagine how hard it is so that's why as i was saying before it's better maybe to do less but better and focus on doing on on giving the best experience to the customers because because it's tough it's a tough market out there so there is no real mystery uh you know there's no uh, secrets to what a restaurant works you always know why it works 
works, but you don't, never really know why it doesn't work. <laughs> and the marketing behind it, do you, do you have a, a um, strong belief in how things should be marketed? I, I, I think marketing of restaurants has evolved a lot. Thank God radio is something that I still believe in. <laughs> so, so this is... Really- no, but I'm not joking. I think I think the radio has managed to keep even through the internet ages and everything. I think radio is is, is very important. But yes, I mean, um, you know, um, marketing is key when it comes to influencers today. Um, it's 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 vital. You know, it's influencers are what word of mouth. Uh, maybe was at the time. So they generate word of mouth. They generate amazing, amazing... I mean, it's it's a gift again for us to be able to have this Instagram because it enables you to go, to grow so much faster. You know, whenever I have one opening, everybody knows that I'm opening in New York in two weeks. It's because just by posting it and the people repost and they follow and then, you know, it just goes, it just becomes a snowball effect. And then, And if you know how to use it, and if and I'm not, not I'm not very good at it. I'm still trying to be better at it. But the problem is that the more restaurants you have, the more accounts you need to have. And now we have sixty, fifty, sixty accounts. And imagine just just giving the content. So cr- creating content is key. is very expensive. It's a very challenging division. But it's it's a real division within my company. You know, marketing, social. You know, it's different than sales. It's different than print. It's different than PR. It's it's its own division. And. Uh leads me on nicely to what you just mentioned two weeks uh, time in new york what's coming up in 2024 oh so beef bar new york biggest flagship uh of the group i think for this year one amazing one is going to be african queen we haven't talked about it but we took over the restaurant last year we're very happy with uh my two friends philippe and patrick and we're opening the second African Queen. So I believe a lot in that brand. And uh, I believe it's one of those heritage and legacy brands of the Côte d'Azur. And I think the future is about bringing brands that are that have a story, that have uh, years of, you know, of life and maybe buying them and then repackaging them in a way that they can become scalable. And that's in Beaulieu. And that's in Beaulieu. And I believe that's, you know, you have two things in the restaurant business. People sometimes when they're successful, they think that they're successful because they have a concept. A lot of times they're confusing concept with location. Sometimes a restaurant is beautifully successful because of its stunning location, because they have the great sun, they're on the right side of the street. It's just the magic works, but you take that elsewhere and it doesn't, right? So you have to be very careful when you, when, when you, when you grow in understanding, is my restaurant a concept or is my restaurant a location? Okay, so, so I believe African Queen is a concept and a location. Obviously, we have the most stunning location on the Port de Beaulieu, but it's something that I believe can be exported simply by the contrast of the look, uh, and the simplicity of the food, uh, and the known, uh, and how known it is in, in in the world. They all arrive when they land between Nice and Monaco. There's not so many high quality restaurants, right? So that was always the place to go. And we decided to open in Dubai, so we're opening in Dubai in one of the most amazing place, places. So let's see how the second African Queen goes. So that's I'm looking at that very closely. It just—it doesn't stop, does it? No, I mean, it doesn't. You must, uh, when you do relax, what do you do? I play the piano. I started playing the piano again. I used to be—I uh, used to be in love with that instrument and used to play year, for years. And I did the academy here and everything. And then I had to stop because it requires uh, time. And I didn't have so much when I started the business. And 
I still don't have time, <laughs> but I, 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 now with age, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just taking it. I can, you know, I can just take it and and give myself some free time. Well, and finally, on a personal note, you're in the restaurant industry. I mean, congratulations on on what you've managed to establish since the early beginnings of your father, as you said, in 1968. What would you say, though, being in the business and when you go maybe to a restaurant, what is the one thing that really maybe gets on your nerves or that you can't believe that maybe still restaurants do or the one mistake <laughs> that really I, I, gets you going? You know, it's actually the opposite. I am so lenient to others. I, I accept everything because then I say, you see? You see, you see how bad it is here, and then you compare to us, and you always criticize. It depends on what's my friends. So I understand. I accept everything. If I walk into a restaurant and something is not working well, I'm like, oh, I'm just relieved. I'm not saying anything, but you know, I'm just like, okay, it's everywhere the same. So you you learn to be lenient, and I think that that's also and, and it's a feel good moment for me. <laughs> well, Ricardo, thank you very much for coming into the Radio. My pleasure. And I hope you'll come back soon and, and sure. tell us how it's all going. Fantastic. Thank you so much.